Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Summer driving. Uh, it's always fun this time of year to get out. If you have a convertible, make sure you take it out. Drop the top. <laughs> if you have a convertible, you're probably taking it out anyway. Uh, I remember Christmas Day. Uh, Megan's in the studio with us uh, from mummytravels.net. Uh, Megan, I remember one Christmas day, I was on my way to my parents, and um, there was somebody driving a Saab 9.3, I think it was 9.3, 9.5, with the convertible, and uh, there was snow on the top of the convertible uh, roof, which was down, and there was snow on the back, so they had it open while it snowed, and they were driving on Christmas Day. Burr. You know what? Sometimes when you have a convertible, it's just so exciting, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you freeze your backside off. That, I mean, Eden and I one time were driving to a water park and I happened to have a Camaro convertible uh, press loan and we, we drove in the, like, it was misting, but I drove with the top down. Yeah. That, I mean, you have to have the top down in all kinds of weathers if you have a convertible, but today is like the payoff day. The summer, the summer, the sun, the fun. Uh, these are the days that make the other nine months of the year absolutely worth it when you can't really have the top down without being uncomfortable. Uh, you know, if you I, and I've tested this, and it does work. If you drive fast enough a convertible and it starts to rain, you don't get wet. I don't think that's it's true. true. Yeah, no. it's absolutely true. How fast would you have to go? I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but I do know <laughs> it works because I've done it. So uh, the windshield catches all the water. I feel like you're making that up. No, but it's okay. True. It's absolutely true. You miss all the rain if you go. It's like running in the rain. You get it must be because I drive too slow. Oh, all right. Well, you do have a minivan. And it's uh, not a convertible. <laughs> Except for those big gaps in the window. I got to say, though, I was in the cra- the new Chrysler Pacifica, and yeah. it's got like three sunroofs. Right. So, I mean, it's not a convertible, but it's pretty close. If you have been uh, driving around the Northwest this week, you may have seen lots of uh, new cars, especially Ford Explorers, because Ford uh, did the launch of their Explorer in the Northwest. And journalists were uh, driving them all over the Northwest, testing them out. New Explorer, pretty uh, interesting vehicle. It's made here in America, Chicago, to be exact. Uh, it is, I think it's been around for a long time, 30-odd years, about as old as I am, I think, I, uh, as old as I am. Noah drives an Explorer. Oh, yeah, that's what your son has one. A 2002. It's a two-door, though, right? No, it's a four-door. No. Is it? Is it an all-wheel drive? No. We bought it in Mississippi, and... At the time, we never thought we would be in a situation where we needed an all-wheel drive car. So every time we get stuck in it somewhere, people make fun of us. And <laughs> it, they're like, who would it, buy a two-wheel drive? I'm it's like, the mocking you car yeah. of SUV. It wouldn't be if we bought the all-wheel drive. Oh, well. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that regret buying a vehicle that was one or the other, either all-wheel drive or, or two-wheel drive, and they wanted the opposite one. Uh, I can't. It's strange now that there are SUVs out there, utilities, utes, as people like to call them. I've never heard uh, anyone say that. Utes. Utes. Yeah, yeah utes. Utes. Uh, utes. Utility vehicles. Okay. Uh, utes. That's what they call them in Australia. Utes. Yes, mate. I've been to Australia twice. I never heard that. You've never heard anybody say utes, mate. No, never. You've never heard that. I have now. I'm absolutely floored. Uh, yeah, they call them utes. Um, and some people in the industry here, my friend Tim Kaniskas, who's the head of Jeep, he calls them utes as well. UTs instead of UVs. Where is this going? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> back to the plot of today's show. Uh, so Ford Explorers traveling around the Northwest, seen a bunch of those. Kind of fun, 
gotta say, really impressed by it. Uh, price is a little hefty, $50,000 for the one I want, but uh, I've also been test driving this week the vehicle that I think is going to change the landscape of SUVs, and that's the brand new Kia Telluride. You know what? I still haven't seen that car. Oh, boy, it was downstairs. Oh. Uh, we could go have a look at it uh, after the show. Uh, I think it's the most amazing. So I said to my significant other, would you want to you drive it? Yeah. <laughs> and then I called uh, my significant other at work and said, so what do you think? Oh, my God, we want, we've got to get one. <laughs> you don't need another car. No, I don't. My driveway is pretty full. I it had is. a roadshow, which is CNET's uh, car blog. Emmy Hall from Roadshow came to my house this week, and uh, she wanted to see my meet my five dogs. And uh, she she looked at my driveway. She said, you've you got a lot of cars, and you got room for a lot of cars. Well, you are a car enthusiast. I know, right? So I have a big driveway. That was that's all I need. I have two car garage and space for thirteen cars. So one thing I've always wondered: Did you buy the house and it had that kind of driveway, or you had that put in because you need that much space for that many cars? So we bought the house and it had a gravel driveway that went up to the two car garage. Okay. And we put that big driveway in, which is three cars wide mm-hmm. and about six cars deep. That's amazing. Yeah. It is a very substantial driveway. Uh, and it would cost us as much as probably one of the cars cost us. That's I believe you. $20,000 to have that thing put in. It's a big piece of concrete. And it's rose-colored. I was going to say it's like tinted and, for yeah, your... It's rose-colored and it has uh, the mottling on top, you know, to make it look like it's some sort of uh, stone. So that's... It's not just a piece of concrete. That was... Uh, I could... I, I gave up a car for that driveway. What kind of car? I don't know, but it was about $20,000 I could have spent on a car. All right, fair enough. All right, what's on today's show? Uh, coming up on today's show, we're going to get a, cho- a chance to talk to Marco Maderick. Uh, he is from BMMPR. And BMMPR, well, what do they do? They have a new kind of uh, car alarm. We'll be finding out all about that uh, and finding out how it works. We're also going to go and take a look at the Mecham auctions. They're coming to Portland. Uh, we're going to find out about this uh, new piece of equipment that you can have on your motorcycle or ATV called the Trail Tech, and it'll keep track of you, all your friends, and where you're going um, on a screen, a touch screen as well. So those are what's coming up on today's show. Plus, uh, the Ford Explorer launch. Uh, you went to Heels on Wheels, Megan. I did. Um, just give us a synopsis of what Heels on Wheels is. Well, it's an all-female event, so female... Automotive journalists, female PR people, just all, all the women in automotive essentially try and get together. And there were probably 16 cars there. only got to drive nine of them. Wow. Um, it's about a day and a half event, so it's pretty quick in and out. But and lots you, of fun. And you had a good time driving. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, we'll find out about that. Plus, we'll have Anton Warman, who is our independent investor and analyst. That's coming up. Our auto expert. Oh, boy, we got a lot of cars to talk about. Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Uh, In our studio, the Our Auto Expert studio, uh, Megan is with us from mummytravels.net. Megan, uh, have you ever had your car stolen? Not yet. <laughs> is it on your wish list? Someone, c- I can dream. Uh, oh, that's right. You don't want your car. No, I don't like it. Uh, have you ever had your car broken into? No, but I have had um, 
Noah's car got raffled through, but yeah. it, it, his car is quite old, so we can't um, lock it to where because the alarm will just go off over and over again. So somebody raffled through it one night, and we yeah. could see, you know, that it had been gone through. So did they take anything? But yeah, they, they took some nice sunglasses, a twenty dollar bill. But they didn't take your car, which you were most upset about. No, I don't even think they looked through it. One of the things <laughs> is if you have a a car that's you know five ten years old and didn't come with an alarm. Uh, you might think about having an alarm installed. And uh, came across this product, thought it was kind of good. Marco uh, Mandrick is with us on the phone uh, to talk about this particular uh, product. And I, you'll have to excuse me, uh, Marco, if I'm not sure how to pronounce uh, pronounce the product. Is it, is it Bimper? It's uh, Bumper, Nick. Bumper. And, uh, thank you okay. for having us on tonight. Really excited. Uh, so Bumper is kind of a cool, well, I'll let you explain since, it, since it's your product. Uh, how does Bumper work? Sure, of course. So Bumper's a small module that you purchase through us, and it installs underneath your car's steering wheel in the OB2 diagnostics port. And uh, basically, it syncs to your phone and pushes a notification to it if something disturbs your vehicle within about six seconds or so. And it can be as light as a tennis ball hitting the window if uh, you really want to know about that sort of thing. Right. That we have adjustable sensitivity to. Oh, so you can you can decide how much force hits the car before it calls. Absolutely. I think uh, when we started working on the project uh, three and a half years ago, we decided that knowing these little pieces of information would be really helpful to people. It's one thing to not know that your car alarm's gone off, but it's even worse to not know why or whether you should respond to it. So that's what we built into the product. There was uh, there was quite a lot of uh, products out, I think, in the 80s in New York City where uh, it would set off a pager if somebody's alarm went off. And that was, to me, that was kind of interesting because uh, then the person would, you know, have the only way to turn their car alarm off because they didn't turn off after six seconds was to get the elevator and go down to the street. Uh, but they paid a lot of money to have them installed. Uh, how much does this cost? How do we install it? And, and what needs to be done to make it active? Yeah, absolutely. So our MSRP is 249 and we include the first year of service on us. After the first year, it's $25 per year. Uh, installing the unit itself is literally as simple as plugging it in, syncing to your phone, and you're pretty much set to go from that point on. And then uh, when when the alarm goes off, what do you see or how does it notify you on your phone? So when an incident occurs, whether, as I mentioned, it's a tennis ball or somebody backing into your car, we put together a little bit of information about that and send it off to your phone and then classify it on your phone as a low, medium, or high-force impact. Obviously, the higher force, the more urgency and matter you should respond to whatever had happened to the vehicle. And then you see that as like a text coming up on your phone or, or just a push notification from the software? It's a push notification directly from our mobile app on iOS and Android. So, so how does it communicate uh, with, the, with the world outside? Does it, is it using a cell phone signal or does it use uh, the Wi-Fi or does it use Bluetooth? Sure. Each unit is packed with a ton of technology. We use Bluetooth for proximity detection to make sure that when you're near the vehicle, the system is disarmed. We use GPS for vehicle tracking in the near future. And the manner in which it connects to the world is over its own cellular connection, uh, pushing data right up into the cloud, and that eventually gets back down to your phone. Um, I like that. So is there a monthly f- recurring fee? No, he said uh, two forty nine. Uh, two forty nine for the first year, and okay. then twenty five dollars a year after. I think that's pretty reasonable because how much you pay for your house to be monitored? And you know me, my cars are worth more than my house. 
Can you can you uh, can you change cars with this uh, too, Marco? Is it something you can move from one car to another, or uh, you know, perhaps you you only drive one one seasonally and the other one in a different season, and you want to uh, move this move the item over? Of course, when we started working on the project, one of the things that we wanted to triumph over was the need for professional and permanent installation in what was offering in the existing market at the time. So removing bumper from one car and installing it into another is just as simple as in installing it into the first one to begin with. Three more minutes and you're back on the road, regardless of what vehicle you're driving. I kind of like that idea, too. Have you had some good stories from customers who've told you about uh, some outcomes of stuff with the bumper? Well, actually, earlier last year, one of our initial investors had a unit installed on his vehicle. He actually was flying over to Thailand for his honeymoon with his wife and got a push notification straight to his phone while he was actually on the other side of the world with his car sitting in Los Angeles back at his home. He sent me over a quick zip notification of the information that he had received on his phone. And he said, hey, man, let me know if this is something I need to look into. We checked a couple of numbers, and we realized it was something as light as an acorn hitting the car. And I told him, don't worry about it. Your car is perfectly fine. He came back. Lo and behold, the car was completely intact. Oh, good. <laughs> it would be pretty awful if you were in Thailand and you had to call somebody to go check on your car because it, uh, it had a notification on it. Uh, uh, now, where can we buy uh, the, the unit? And is it, what are they? You said, I heard you say earlier on that uh, GPS is something that's coming in the future. So, first of all, tell us where we can buy it and then tell us a little bit about uh, the expansion because it sounds like you're not just going to settle for what you have. Absolutely. So, currently, we're selling the product on our website at bumper.com. That's B M M P R.com. And we're also looking forward towards partnering with uh, about six strategic partners in the automotive and big box retail space later this year. Uh, As for expansion, uh, as I mentioned later this year, we aren't going to rest on our laurels in terms of the feature set and capabilities. One of the things that we focused on when starting the project was to make sure that we built in features that car enthusiasts and car owners alike would love to have. As we grow as a company, we're going to focus on increasing that value proposition to our end customers by adding things like GPS tracking, break-in detection, and towing situation detections, as well as the impact detection that's shipping out uh, with the product currently. I think this is a great idea for those people that have high-end cars. Uh, I'm always, every time I drive, uh, Mark, I'll drive something like a a Rolls-Royce or a Lamborghini, which, uh, by the way, isn't that often, but when I drive one, uh, this might be a great thing to have installed on the car because I constantly worry about, uh, I parked it on the street somewhere, and I'm worried about someone dinging it or... You know, sitting. People always try to open the doors and sit in a Rolls Royce every time I have one. So this is, what are you looking at me for, Megan? You're going to install this on your. I'm thinking uh, I'm going to find you sometime when you're in one of these cars, and I'm going to set you up, and I'm going to swipe your car, and you're not going to know it's coming. <laughs> oh, you just told me you're going to steal my Rolls Royce. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah, just as a prank. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Uh, all right, Michael. Well, thanks very much for letting us know about Bumper. Uh, I think it's a great idea, especially if you're uh, constantly worried about parking your car um, in places where people can do stuff and can hurt it a little bit. Uh, as you heard, you can go to the website. Uh, Marco filled us in on everything there, and you can actually take a look at it. Uh, I, I, I'd love to see what the car theft numbers look like in the world. Um, I'm not sure that there are um, as many cars stolen. I remember when I was a kid, there were a lot of people uh, a lot of cars stealing. In fact, I remember uh, seeing guys um, outside my house, like when I was younger, trying to break into cars and steal the stereos. But nowadays, of course, you can't do that out of vehicles. So uh, theft has changed quite a lot. Have you ever had your stereos stolen out of your car? 
No, no I one, have. no one's gonna steal anything from my car, Nick. <laughs> You've seen my car. I, I just feel sad when I look at you and your eyes are all filled with tears because you drive. A I, I was just thinking one time I parked it in the worst part of town here, and I thought, well, you put a no on it, saying maybe free. this is it. I left the keys in it. Nothing. <laughs> you did that. I think that might be insurance fraud, by the way. Oh my bad. Okay, good to know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I, I did just look it up. It says an estimated 773,139 thefts of motor vehicles nationwide in 2017. So that is about 700,000 more than I thought there were. <laughs> yeah, and the car thefts tend to be, uh, they, they were in the worst part of town that car thefts used to happen quite regularly. I hear more car thefts now taking place where people do, you know, stealing cars from, from people who go to the grocery store, go to like a 7-Eleven or a, a convenience store, and they leave their car running outside, which is never a good idea. And they come out and the car's gone. Imagine that. So wait, what do I need to do? I'm going to go to the grocery store. <laughs> you have to go to a convenience store. I know you have just to park the store. your 2007 Honda minivan outside. And then you have to leave, leave it, it running. running. Okay. And then you have to you know, keep checking back to see if it's still there. All right, we'll <laughs> check like, in next week and like see how it went. We're setting you up for a prison sentence because <laughs> you're going to intentionally get your car stolen. Uh, there's all those people like... Uh, my friends, aggression police, uh, just just <laughs> sitting there making notes. Be sure to watch Megan's minivan because <laughs> she's trying to get it stolen. You know what? I wouldn't actually do that because I am so cheap. I just don't want to buy a new car. <laughs> uh, here's the funny thing is, too, there's probably lots of dealers listening to the show right now would be more than happy to help you buy a new car and give you more than the insurance company would trade you in for your vehicle. Well, Anyone? yeah, it's not worth much. Any- let me know. Let me know. <laughs> All right, our auto expert coming up. We'll talk about some fun trips that we've been having. Uh, Germany, Salt Lake, and uh, here. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Uh, Monday through Friday, normally that I'm on the road uh, test driving different vehicles around the world. Uh, so last week, got to drive a new GLS from Mercedes-Benz in Utah following uh, the Ford Explorer, which was at Skamania Lodge in Stevenson, Washington. And uh, next week, it's off to Spokane to drive the Hyundai Palisade, which is actually the sister car to the Kia Telluride. So it's this three-row SUV with a ton of really cool features on it. Uh, The second half of the week, I'm going to (coughs) bend to drive the Chevy Silverado HD big man truck. Uh, it's like, uh, excuse me. It's uh, also a great truck for a woman. It's huge. So It's huge. Even frightens me. Well, you're so small. Uh, that's true. Would it frighten you? No. You're from Texas, aren't you? Yes. You like big trucks, and I cannot lie. That is true. Um, and then the, the week after that, five different vehicles in Germany. Uh, so I know three of them. I get to drive the BMW Alpina, uh, which is going to be kind of fun because I haven't driven that yet. It's like that super special, sporty, really fast, cool. I've never driven it either. Uh, no. There's only about eight of them, I think, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so here's the deal. Um, test driving vehicles. What was the last one you test drove? Was that the Pacifica minivan? Chrysler? Yeah, I had the Chrysler Pacifica minivan. You don't like that, didn't you? I drove it all across the state. Uh-huh. I went down to Southern Oregon. Right. I even drove down to the California Redwoods. Oh. 
I and loved it. It was a great car. As a mother of three children, did you hear less complaining from... Did, who gets to sit up front, by the way? Sorry, tangent. Eden. She's my favorite. <laughs> oh, poor boys. The I'm boys, just kidding. They uh, take turns. They call shotgun. They, they and, take turns being your favorite? Yes, that too. Um, so there's no no given person sits up front? No, not necessarily. Is, a lot of times it's Noah because he gets really car sick. Is, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is Jonah uh, old enough to sit up front? Is he allowed? He he wasn't until March, so it's, oh. it really should be think... 12 years old. I think maybe Oregon, it might be a little younger than that. But but realistically, you should not put a child in the front seat until they're 12. And it's a weight thing and an yes. airbag thing and an injury and death thing. And yes. It's not a good idea. Uh, so follow the manufacturers and the state laws guidelines to make sure that your child doesn't go in right, the front seat. Right, but some seat. of the state laws are too low. So oh. just 12 years old. 12 years old is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Or like, but you know, like a. What if your kid's large? Well, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> You're looking at me like, what did you really 12 years old. I don't care how big old. they are. 12 years old. Uh, so, all right. So Jonah gets to sit up front now. Mm-hmm. He's he's a big boy. Yeah, that was a huge, like, that's a milestone. Really? Yeah, like, um, you, can tell it, don't have kids, you know, right? you get tall enough, you can ride all the rides at Universal Studios. Or <laughs> You get tall enough, you can ride mom's ride. You finally get old enough, you can <laughs> ride in the front of the car, yeah. you know. So, uh, when was the last time he had a booster seat? Oh gosh, it's been a it's been He'd a long be, time. He would he would he would like be so upset if he knew we were having this conversation on the radio. It's funny though. Somebody sent me a booster seat to try out. It's an inflatable travel oh, booster seat. You didn't make him do it. No, not yet. But oh, I, I was oh, like, God. I was like, hey kids, which one of you is going to uh, oh. sit in this booster seat? I'm glad you're not my mom. <laughs> they got to post for the picture. I got to review it. Someone's got to sit in it. Because you have like a billion zillion followers on uh, social media. Your kids probably just hate it because they're, they're like, make them do stuff all the time. I always see like pictures you have, you take pictures of all these like crazy trips all over the world. And your kids are always like, yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, mom's taking pictures again. We're going to be all over the web. Well, it's because, you know, you only show like the good stuff. You're not showing the stuff that like... We ran out of gas, or we took a wrong turn. And we drove eight hours further than <laughs> to we were me. That's to, way more or... interesting. Like the fights and the conflict, and the I threw you know ice cream at her. Or, yeah, that to me is way more interesting. That's why I watch reality TV. That's why. Well, uh, that's true. That's why um, the Jenners, are so, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, is so uh, uh, so big a star. <laughs> the Jenners. That's why Caitlyn Jenner is such a big star, is because everyone wants to sort of catch up with the drama and everything. Mm. I haven't seen That's it, right. so we do have sometimes. Occasionally, when we're traveling, we do a vlog, and that gets a little a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Like, Why? Tell me weird things that happen on your traveling vlog. I don't know. We're just we're odd people. You know, all people are weird, and so you know, if you're recording everything you do over the course of a trip, like it's going to be weird. When you were in Greece, this kind of super interested me. You drove a little three cylinder, you yes. got a little three cylinder rental car. What was that about? Um, well, so the, the resort that I was working with, I was working with the PAP Corp, which is this really cool family owned entity over there. They've got different hotels and they provided me with a car. So I'm not sure if it was a rental car, if it was one of their own cars, but it was really quite small and, um, it didn't have a lot of pep and I couldn't get up a hill. Did so the kids had to get out and push? What was that about? It, no, because even if we had gotten out and pushed, we wouldn't have gotten it up a hill. So I would, <laughs> so I would have to stop what we were doing uh, and reroute or back up down a, or like we got halfway up the hill and now I got to back it all the way up and just go a different way. So we're going around like the entire um, 
we're, we're driving through Halkidiki down through Cassandra, the leg of Cassandra. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're, I thought, well, we'll just drive the whole thing. It'll be really cool. We'll go city to city. Yeah, no, we, we could, we literally just couldn't make it. So, and I mean, I was driving that car so hard and I, I was like, I'm going to destroy this, this person's car. So your advice for renting a car in Greece is don't make it a three cylinder. Well, I mean, when you're in Europe, you kind of get what you get. So, but yeah, I try not to because, well, depending on where you're at, I mean, I mean, it can be very mountainous and quite, it, quite majestic. But if you can't make it up there, you're not going to see it. Here's some interesting uh, information. Uh, Ford's new Explorer mm-hmm. that they just released, going to Europe. Oh, they're gonna have that's it in Europe. huge. Not going to have it in the UK because they don't want to engineer the steering wheel on the opposite side. But you will be able to rent it, rent it in Europe. And uh, my friend Dan's going to be in charge of that and 13 other cars. That's amazing. That's great. You can read that. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the Mecham Auctions. Uh, they make an appearance around the country. We'll find out what they're about and whether you can go and spend all your hard-earned dollars on a fancy classic car. It's coming up as our show continues. Don't forget, 24-7, ourautoexpert.com. Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our Auto Expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Uh, Megan from mommytravels.net is in the studio with us. Uh, you own a what? what? What year is your vehicle? An 07. 07 uh, Honda Odyssey, Odyssey minivan. Mm-hmm. It's almost a classic car. It's getting there. I don't have Bluetooth. <laughs> ah, but it's it's probably not classic enough to uh, join the Meekum auctions. Uh, I you make me smile because I know that how much you hate your car. If you uh, <laughs> if you want to buy um, a classic or a beautiful piece of machinery, uh, Meekum auctions tours the country. Super famous. I've been to a bunch of them at uh, great locations. John uh, John Craman is here. John is on the phone. Uh, John, uh, Meekum Auctions in Portland soon. Can't wait, Nick. We are getting cranked up for our annual event there at the Portland Expo Center, and it's all it's just right down the down the down the uh, timeline there. Next week, uh, about five hundred great collector cars in all price ranges. We'll have cars for oh five thousand dollars, and we'll have cars for over hundred thousand dollars. Everything in between. Uh, Megan's eyebrows just went up. <laughs> uh, she, you, you want to get rid of your minivan? Yeah, I need a right. 1966 Mustang instead. Uh, Convertible. You, John, is there a 1966 Mustang available? Probably well, not. Seeing as uh, yeah, seeing as early Mustangs are some of the most popular collector cars uh, on the market in general, I would say that we would have a very nice selection of Mustangs. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, unfortunately, not uh, not too much of a market there at Meekum Auctions Portland. For the Honda Odyssey Mini. <laughs> yes. You Seems might have to sell it privately, Megan, I'm just saying. But <laughs> Meekum can help you out with a brand new vehicle. So tell us a story about Meekum, uh, uh, John, because it, it seems to be growing in leaps and bounds. And when we see a Meekum auction, we know we're going to have quality cars and uh, lots of them available and, and a good price, too. Well, very well said, Nick. This company started all the way back in 1988, and it wasn't really until maybe the mid-2000s that it really started to get ahead of steam as uh, the company founder, owner, he's a visionary, Dana Meekum, still heavily involved in the company, uh, decided that he wanted to kind of take it to the next level, uh, bringing a uh, Meekum auction experience around the country. We went on television in March of 2008. We're now in season 12. 
uh, with our television show. We're on NBCSN. I'm part of that television crew right since day one. And we've now grown to be the world's largest collector car auction company. 13 auctions this year. We'll handle about 20,000 entries, and we're looking to do about $400 million in sales total. Now, Portland, one of our smaller auctions, we consider kind of a large regional event, probably hopefully looking to do somewhere in the 8 to $10 million range, not a not big in the scheme of what we do, but a very important market. We've learned a lot about Portland as being a very, very car-centric uh, market, just in general for fun collector cars, and we've been welcomed into the local car community. This is going to be a lot of fun for us, and we've got nine hours of great television coming up as well for those folks that can't attend in person. You don't have to uh, buy a car just to attend, though. You can buy tickets and go along and uh, just, just look-y-see, can't you? Well, and that really is very, very important, Nick, because, you know, a lot of people think it's all about buyers and sellers, and certainly that's what drives the business side of it. But we welcome and we encourage spectators to come in and see the auction, look at the cars, watch the action, get right up close for a $20 ticket in advance, $30 at the door. Kids 12 and under are always free. And if you buy your ticket in advance at meekum.com, again, 20 bucks. A lot of people call it the best car show they've ever attended. I like to call it a car show with a pulse because there's so much energy and so much going on uh, beneath the surface that uh, must be seen to be experienced. Love to have everybody come out. It's not just cars as well, though. You also you have a two-wheel variety, do you or not? Or is it just, just selling cars? No, no. We're very active in the sale of motorcycles. And uh, for those uh, folks that uh, don't quite have the budget to buy a car, we uh, start uh, the auction off both days runs uh, Friday, June 21st, and, of course, Saturday the 22nd. Doors open at 8, first car hits the block at uh, 10 o'clock, but about 9.30 we'll start auction starters, memorabilia. Could be die-cast cars, gas pumps, uh, vintage slot machines, uh, celebrity-signed electric guitars. The list list goes on and on. A couple hundred bucks you can buy a real cool piece of memorabilia, and that's how we sort of get the auction uh, rolling. And the first car will hit the block at 10 a.m. sharp both days. Now, looking through some of the uh, the cars that uh, are sort of on your website here, I mean, you've got some super reasonably priced cars and also a lot of vehicles that people may have wished their whole life to own and, uh, you know, they weren't available. Uh, 1956 Chevrolet 3100 pickup and... And uh, the Pontiac GTO, and I mean, there's there's everything from one side of the to the other, including a I see here a a, Cor, uh, a Chevy Corvette L88 convertible. Yeah, you're, that's that's one of the top uh, vehicles. That's a heavy hitter for this auction. Here's what we do: we we call it inventory management. We structure the placement of the vehicles uh, starting on the first day, Friday, with the lower priced vehicles, and it kind of revs up through the afternoon slightly ramping up a bit on the value of the cars, and then on Saturday will be the most expensive cars. And we try to put the vehicles in the different segments to make it convenient for a bidder to go there, not have to sit there and sort through literally two long 10-hour days of cars to be able to bid on cars that they have in their particular price range. So I always recommend to folks that are interested, hey, go to Miko.com. Very easy to sort through the inventory, as you know, Nick, and take a look at what's there. Uh, lots of good pictures, lots of information about the cars, and then all those cars will be available to be previewed before you actually would bid on those uh, at the auction. Or if, if people just want to come out, like I said earlier, and look at the cars, we welcome and we encourage it, and we we really appreciate 
uh, folks coming out and just you know checking out the action and having a having a great day for a pretty moderate ticket price. There is a 1974 Triumph TR6 convertible, uh, lot F36. I have my eye on here, but I also noticed uh, lot F24 is a 1998 Ford 35C bus that has Go Ducks painted all over it. So if you're an <laughs> Oregon Duck, yeah, Megan's, funny enough, Megan just showed me her phone. She's pulled up the same uh, same vehicle. There's no reserve on this. It's a, basically a Ducks fan van, and if you want to put people on it and go down to a Ducks game, this looks like something the radio station should buy. I, I'm, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of whimsy uh, and, and, and fun type vehicles that get entered. Keep in mind, uh, the auction company, Mecham Auctions, we really don't have a whole lot of control over what vehicles that consigners contact contact us to enter. Uh, we very rarely will, will refuse a vehicle, and uh, those are vehicles that will be in, in the more affordable price range, certainly. And the fact that they're running relatively early on Friday, the first day of the auction, uh, with the lot numbers you mentioned, you mentioned, I believe, F24 and F36, uh, those will run in the first hour of the auction on uh, Friday morning. Here's how we do it. We schedule about roughly 35 cars an hour, and we run in sequential lot number order. So if we start at 10 o'clock, we know lot number F36 uh, is going to be about an hour into the auction if we maintain that pace of 35 an hour, which we do. So that's another little tip to your listeners if they're trying to figure out, well, you know, this is a certain lot number. What time is it going to be going through the auction? You just do a little bit of quick math. Not too hard to figure that out. So this is really funny, although Megan showed me a picture. She just showed me a picture of her in front of a 1966 Ford Mustang convertible, and the same vehicle is for sale except in the hardtop version at the Mecham Auctions coming up on the 20th and 21st. A lot F45 is a 1966 Ford Mustang uh, three-speed, a 289C1 or CL. Uh, this is... Uh, this is great, Megan. Megan, the car she was talking about, the same color, is at your auction. I know. It's just not a convertible, though. <laughs> Whatever. It's Here, I'll give you a chainsaw. You can cut the roof off. We'll make it real easy. You know, that does you sound know fun. one advantage of the hardtop over the convertible is price. Uh, Mustang convertibles of that vintage uh, are the are the highest valued of the three different body styles, the hardtop, the fastback, and the convertible. And uh, the nice thing about a hardtop is, is they'll bring about, oh, half to even slightly less than uh, half price of a comparable convertible. So folks on a budget typically will seek out a coupe, a convertible average uh, car in, in, in good shape, a driver quality car, twenty five to $30,000. That same car in a coupe is going to be maybe low to mid-teens. Good value. Still a lot of fun. And you imagine that. You wouldn't have to sell a minivan for that much more because you would be able to afford this. <laughs> Dude, that minivan's worth like a thousand dollars. If, if maybe three hundred, uh, you might find somebody who feels sorry for you. Uh, look, this this looks absolutely amazing. There is a lot of really really cool cars here. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, so cars, motorcycles, even a duck's van for sale at the auction. Uh, how do we need to find out more information about the auction and where can we see it on TV? Well, it's the website is so easy to navigate. Meekum.com. Uh, take a look at the inventory. It's got the complete schedule, lots of details. Still time for folks to consign a car to the auction. Still plenty of time to sign up as a bidder. And uh, if you can't make it out to the auction and you do want to catch it, we will have lots of coverage. We're doing same day delay. We're going to be we're going to be taping the auction uh, virtually all day long, almost gavel to gavel, and we're going to be airing that on NBCSN. Uh, 
and we're going to be starting in about the, I'm not sure of the hard times yet, uh, mid-afternoon through uh, the late evening hours during prime time, both on Friday and Saturday. We're delighted to air those times because it puts us, takes it from folks that have to work on Friday, as an example, and it re-airs that same day, real time, uh, but yet further in the same day, of course, and gives everybody a chance to tune in and... Uh, we really appreciate, uh, as always, the support, the interest, the enthusiasm from the car community in Portland. That's a that's a pretty cool place. A lot of a lot of neat car events going on in Portland throughout the year, and we are very very proud. Like I said earlier, to be a part of to be a part of that. We always do a presentation at the World Speed Museum, which is the absolute is a world class museum. If your listeners have not had a chance to get out there and see what's happening, and it's ever changing. Uh, that's a real jewel in the car community there, as well as uh, the various racetracks and the, the car shows, the beaches, Wednesday night car shows. The list goes just on and on at what happens there. And, and man, we are just a we're a big part of that car community, and, and we could not be more honored. I'm, I'm excited about it. Thanks for spending some time talking to us. I got my eye on, uh, Megan, there's a couple of vehicles here. I got my eye on a, a very, very good-looking uh, Morris Minor. Uh, quarter-ton pickup truck. Uh, there was only less than 500 made. This is in gray with a red interior. It's a thousand cc or thousand ninety-eight ccs, uh, and I might have to go down there. Uh, that was uh, John Craman. He is from Meekum Auctions. He's a commentator for Meekum Auctions on the uh, NBC Sports Network. And uh, if you want more information, it's uh, Meekum.com slash auctions slash Portland dash 2019 or just go to meekumauctions.com there you can see what cars are available you can find out how to buy tickets and get yourself down to the auction to see some of the vehicles I'm I'm probably going to have a hard time getting off here because I've seen Range Rovers and Mercedes Benz and there's a Chevrolet Bel Air here from uh, well years gone by a 1951 Nash Rambler convertible which was one of the strangest cars I've ever seen and some classic Jeep Wranglers also on the list Volkswagen Beetle convertible from 1978 I mean the list goes on and on and on even down to the Volkswagen Thing remember the Thing 1974 Thing is going to be at Portland on the auction block as well plus some really classic trucks some classic muscle cars some school buses some hot rods uh, the Volkswagen Phaeton. The list is huge of some very cool cars. Nick, do you think if I painted ducks, organ ducks, all over my minivan, I could sell for more money? No, you're out of luck there. <laughs> uh, it, because it smells like ducks have been living in it. Fair enough. All right, coming up, more stuff on Our Auto Expert. We're around 24-7, ourautoexpert.com. You can follow us on all the social media. Just say hi on Facebook or Twitter or the Instagrams. We're there all the time. Coming up, more cool stuff. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. Talking cars here on our auto expert. Uh, just looking through those meek auction cars. I can't stop looking at cars I'm not allowed to buy anymore. Because I get in trouble every time I come home with a new car. I was trying to convince... Or she was buying me a new car. Yeah, then it can go I, live at my house. The car can? And no one will know. See, everybody just thinks I'm like, have endless amounts of money. My dad keeps thinking, oh, you can buy me a car? Can I have this? Can I have that? Uh, no, you can't. Neither can you, Megan. Because right. I'm selfish and I want all the cars for myself. Fair uh, enough. I keep thinking that I, you know, I have a Lexus GX and 
and I was I like it very much, but I really like that Kia Telluride. But I'm going to guess I'm going to go drive the Palisade this week. Yeah, but look how long so, you waited to get that Lexus. You're not getting rid of that Lexus. <laughs> I searched for that Lexus for about eight months before I found it because it was such a good deal. Many of Portland helped me out. Now you're gushing out. about this Telluride. Yeah. Why? But I don't. You know what? When you, I, I, it's one of the most bizarre things. But wait till the end of the show. We'll go downstairs and I'll show it to you. Your 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 face will drop. Really? Thirty two thousand dollars starting price. The thing looks like it's a sixty thousand dollar car. It is so well put together. So let me give you some examples. Second row, its own HVAC controls, its own lights, a system in there that lets you know if you shut the car down and something moves in your car in the second or third row, it will send a signal to your cell phone letting you know that something is in your car moving, Ooh, like a child or a dog. I love that. It has power outlets in each seat, in the front seats in the side of them, so kids can plug those cars into the side of their front seats. It, it has uh, really cool uh, storage containers. The back seats flip and fold with touch of a single button. And uh, also, it, it's easy to get into the back third row because it has captain's chair. I mean, I'm telling you right now, you'd have to pry your kids out of that with, uh, with a, just a crowbar. Hmm. There's no way. It's the perfect family vehicle. I'm absolutely serious. It's the perfect family vehicle. All right, I have to get myself... Uh, you uh, have to bring it over there, over to my house, and the kids can test it out. <laughs> they would love it. They would love it. Uh, if you're heading off to an off-road adventure this year, um, doing some perhaps off-roading in an ATV or a motorcycle or some other fantastic piece of machinery, how do you keep in touch with your friends? How do you know where you're going? How do you communicate? How do you, you know... Your cell phone? No, it doesn't always work when you're out in the wild. It doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, so, therefore, you're going to have to find some very cool way to communicate. A walkie-talkie. No, it doesn't always work. I mean, what, you're talking about a quarter of a mile. They say those things go two miles, but they never do. They never do. Uh, joining us on the phone is Joshua uh, Barton. He is the brand manager for Trail Tech. This is a, a kind of a cool piece of technology. Uh, Joshua, I'm not going to try and explain it because uh, you have some very cool uh, pieces of technology to keep everybody communicated uh, and uh, on on the on your different off-road adventures uh, how does how does it work yeah so uh thanks for having me today i i i know you're talking about our voyager pro gps yeah. uh, it is built for the off-road so uh it, it, what you i heard you describing a little bit about staying connected and that's really one of the key things is uh building this connected uh, network and we use radio frequency and you can get uh, between half a mile to uh, two miles, depending upon terrain, from vehicle to vehicle with no self-service required. Uh, plus, the unit itself is, I mean, it's a full GPS. So, you know, you connect to your vehicle. You can see your speed, distance, time, your temperature, your, the, the voltage of the vehicle. And, and then you get that, as you mentioned, that really uh, cool industry leading in first a buddy tracking technology, and we refer to it as group ride. All right. So with group ride, if a bunch of you have your system synced together, you can uh, you can see where everybody else is on the trail. Absolutely. It comes in on the map screen. You select the color of your icon, and you can see all your buddies, starting with a group of uh, just two riders. Uh, so we go up to uh, 20 riders wow. um, on the screen. And it creates this network where 
you know, it, I might not be, I might be out of range from one of my buddies way in front, but because I'm connected to you and you're in between, we can all see each other on the screen. So providing everybody's about a mile or two miles apart, you should be able to see where uh, everybody is in the group. Absolutely. And imagine, you know, there's various uh, riding styles out there, you know, whether you're, you're riding out in the desert, you're riding on the dunes, or you're riding out in the woods, um, you know, you're going to get some different ranges, but, but you're going to be able to see, see each other. And I'll tell you, when you're out riding in the desert, you can just drop off. You can wait for your buddies to go ahead. You know, you can let the distance get between, and you don't have to eat their dust. Right. It, is a, it is a huge improvement on the riding experience. This is also seems like something would be really cool for like uh, Megan and uh, the so if it's on ATVs, you would be able to know where they were at all times. You could look it on the map. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you could use it as kind of you. You got the hub unit, and you're out riding with your kids. And yes, you can see them on the map screen. We do have some some folks that are using it that way, and we we get a lot of questions about you know because the cost on it is five ninety nine ninety five, and so we get some questions on hey, can you guys build something? That's more of just a buddy track device. And then I, myself, as a parent, I can have the main hub and then I can attach these to my kids' uh, my AT, their ATVs. And, and uh, the question is that, or the answer to that question is, yeah, that's something we're thinking about doing and, and looking at for the near future. So they don't have to buy the full unit. Now, how does this work? Is it uh, something that needs to be installed by a dealer? Is it a clip-on? Uh, how does it power? How does it work? And, and how does it install? Yeah, so you can definitely, I mean, you can find it at your dealer. Um, you know, we go through dis- distribution, and so your local power sports dealer can purchase this unit, um, and they can install it. So we always say if, you wanna, if, if you're not very handy, definitely go through your dealer. But you can also, we, we have uh, full instructions, and it's model-specific. So right. depending upon what kind of vehicle you have, we give you all the sensors you need to install it. Now, if you don't, if you're riding, let's say, an adventure bike or a UTV, you probably don't need, you already have your stock gauge. You don't need all the vehicle sensor information. So you can just connect the power, connect the buddy track antenna, all right. and pretty much you're good to go. Uh, it works. It works. All right, Joshua, thanks very much. We, uh, where do we find out more? Well, you can see, you can go on our website at www.trailtech.net, and you can look up Voyager Pro right there and uh, learn more about the device. Excellent. Joshua from Trail Tech, thanks so much. Coming up, we're going to find out about Volvo. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert. Huge explosion of electric cars coming over the next uh, three years or something. A hundred new models or something. Anton Woolman was telling us, uh, listing them all off. Uh, one I couldn't be more excited about is the brand new Polestar, uh, which is uh, the separation uh, of the electric brand from Volvo. So they're sort of uh, still under the same umbrella, but it's uh, the the Polestar is their performance electric brand. And they had the Polestar 1, got to see that at uh, Concorde Elegance a couple of years ago. And then now the Polestar 2 has arrived, and uh, JP is here from uh, Polestar to talk to us a little bit about it. Uh, JP, I have been waiting 
for this car for like a billion years, and uh, it's finally arrived um, somewhat in display model only, but it's here, right? Uh, yeah, we've all been waiting for it for a while here in the office as well. But yes, uh, it's uh, it's coming to reality quite quickly, and uh, we're getting ready to uh, show off the car in the United States. I like the fact that uh, the pictures that you have online, it still does have an essence of Volvo among about it. It hasn't sort of gone a completely different direction, even though it looks a lot more performance-orientated, but it still has sort of the feeling of Scandinavia in it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, over time, you will see the Polestar design language evolve, where the Polestar one was very, very Volvo. In fact, it started life as a Volvo concept car. The Polestar 2 takes it a step further away, but still from the same family. And then, of course, in due time, once it comes, the Polestar 3 will really be the first car that that is 100% in the Polestar design language. So tell me a little bit about uh, where Polestar are at. So it's all electric, it's 100%. That was the whole idea behind the car when it first started. And uh, and now it, you know, you're at the stage where you've had the one, the two. Um, how uh, are these on market, or they are in market, or will they be in market, or is it still more conceptual? No, no, we're well past conceptual. I think we're getting, we're in fact really close to production here. So the Polestar one which we showed in October of 2017 as a concept, will now actually be going into production in a month and a half to two months' time. And shortly thereafter, of course, start shipping to the first customers. So that's obviously a huge proof point for a new brand is cars rolling out of the factory and going into the market. And then the Polestar 2, which uh, we just showed here in Geneva Motor Show this past March, is currently under uh, the advanced stages of the R&D testing. In fact, I actually uh, am fortunate enough to have gotten my first ride in the car last week. And those will go into production in Q1 of this coming year, 2020, and hitting customers uh, shortly thereafter. So what's the difference between the one and the two? I mean, I can see it by looking at the, the pictures, but uh, what, you know, how would you explain that to a potential customer? Yeah, well, it's in simplest terms, the Polestar 1 and the Polestar 2 are actually the two bookends of the eventual Polestar lineup, meaning the Polestar 1 is the halo car. It's the absolute top of the range. It is a hand-built car, which we're only doing about 500 of per year, carbon fiber body, 600 horsepower, really, really uh, exactly, as I said before, the halo of the range and the top of the line. And then the Polestar 2 is coming in on the other end of the spectrum, which will be the eventual entry into the Polestar brand. That car is coming at a price tag of $63,000 before the federal incentives for a fully, fully loaded car. And that is also the first pure electric, uh, pure battery electric vehicle from the whole Volvo group. So there's, there's a lot of weight on the shoulders of that car, and we're quite excited to get it delivered. So unlike Tesla, who are just uh, just doing only electric vehicles, you're actually doing uh, the first one is 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 a hybrid. And um, what how did how would you rank Polestar as a, a car company? Is an alternative alternative energy vehicle company? Um, obviously, that portion of Volvo, or is it uh, something that's uh, you know just just more of a performance luxury end of Volvo? No, we are the performance electrification brand from from the Volvo Car Group and and Geely Cars. Uh, I think you know the first car is 
a hybrid, but it was the transition car from the world of the gas-powered Polestar Volvos of the past, leaping into the new electric way forward for the Polestar brand. Uh, it's 600 horsepower, but uh, you know, with that gap and Polestar's role as the technology spearhead within the group, it's the longest pure EV range of any plug-in hybrid uh, on sale today. So it has 150 kilometers, which is roughly 93 miles, if my math's correct, of pure electric range. So you can really drive it almost anywhere on your daily commute or daily uh, daily drives as a pure EV. And then it has both the gasoline engine backup as well as uh, the full performance of all motors combined uh, on tap if you ever really want to go and have a spirited drive. Right. So I was in Norway recently where, of course, um, I think 53% of cars sold last month were electric. Uh, It's something that's huge in certain European cities and is getting bigger in the United States. Do you see the biggest market for Polestar as a U.S. customer base, or do you see that as something that the Europeans, who are are sort of much, uh, I would say, further ahead on the curve, will be buying these vehicles? Yeah, really, the... The way we split up our markets in terms of volume is is roughly thirds between North America, Europe, and China. But China takes a slightly larger piece of that pie, which uh, goes in line with most other manufacturers in that China is the largest electric car market globally. So we see a little more volume going there, but roughly a third between those continents each. And this, the, you know, these Polestar vehicles, uh, beautifully designed, but will still have the the same elements that uh, Volvo have the uh, the safety, the the sturdy construction, and uh, then you just add in a a dice more performance, and you've got quite a vehicle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, Polestar One's a great example uh, of, and Polestar Two, for that matter, of being the spearhead for technology within the group. Like I mentioned prior, you know, it's the first battery electric vehicle. Uh, first usage of carbon fiber in any of the group's road cars, and we'll continue to play that role moving forward, testing out the new things, launching the new developments first. But all the cars are still built on Volvo platforms, so you come with that 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 security of buying a car from what we like to call a 90-year-old startup, and that they're built on Volvo platforms. They're going to be screwed together properly and have a fit and finish you demand in your Volvo and really be a car you're proud to own. And also, you've sort of made the materials very sustainable and uh, very friendly as well. I mean, the interiors are uh, standard interior materials are uh, vegan, and you sort of done a whole lot of stuff on the inside to make it not only well designed and functional, but at the same time sort of ethical. Yes, absolutely. I, really, the the vegan interior was not just an ethical choice, but in addition, it's really a nice material. We were able to get an interior together from it that really doesn't sacrifice anything you associate with quality or luxury or that look and feel of the materials, but at the same time, of course, uh, remaining in that vegan ethos. And then since most people spend a lot of time in their cars on their daily commutes. The other kind of key point on the interior is it's actually the world's debut of Google's new Android automotive infotainment system. So uh, think Google Assistant for your car. Think Google Maps as the native embedded navigation system and just a much better experience all around uh, for your day-to-day usage of the automobile. All right, JP, this is the the, the tough question now. How much am I going to have to spend on this car? 
No, uh, like I said, a fully loaded Polestar 2 will run you $63,000 before the federal incentives or, of course, any state tax incentives as well, depending where you live. And, uh, again, that's that's the entry to the Polestar brand, and over time we'll have other models as well. But 63000 for the fully loaded launch edition, we're calling it. I think I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, I will tell you, if you're in in the market for a luxury car, I think that's uh, that's super reasonable. You can find out more at Polestar.com. JP, he's a great guy to talk to. He always uh, he always starts to make me think about uh, these brand new vehicles, and of course, Polestar, part of uh, the Volvo family of vehicles, which means that getting that cool Scandinavian design. The top-notch safety, now the performance, and of course, ethical fuel with the either electric or the hybrids. Coming up, still more our auto expert to co, uh, Anton Wallman joining us to talk about what's new with more electric vehicles and the business side of the automotive world. That's coming up as we continue. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Uh, thank you to uh, Megan who's been with us for the whole show from MyTravels.net. Uh, and you can go check her out. Uh, she does lots of traveling and lots of car reviews. Uh, some good stuff there. All right. Lots going on in the automotive world as far as business electric or autonomous is concerned. And, of course, we like to have him join us every single week on the radio. Anton Warman is here. He's an independent investor and analyst. Uh, first of all, Anton, we were both together in uh, in Stevenson, Washington, to drive the new Ford Explorer. What were your initial thoughts about the vehicle? Obviously, avoiding talking about driving impressions, which are still embargoed, I believe. Yeah, there are a couple of unique things, per definition, about the new 2020 Ford Explorer that sets it apart uh, from, at least for the person who's really interested in uh, the way that these uh, cars are architected. You may know or not know that the only car uh, on the market until now that is a full-size unibody three-row SUV that is a rear-wheel base drive platform is actually the Dodge Durango. That's sort of based on the muscle cars. Basically, uh, all-wheel drive is optional, but it's a longitudinal engine, and you can get it with either rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, and it's not a premium product that will cost you $60,000 or more. Now, this will be the second one of its ilk to enter the U.S. market, as strange as that may seem. So if you think about it conceptually, the new 2020 Ford Explorer is a little bit like a Ford Mustang on stilts. You can get it with that same 2.3-liter four-cylinder turbo, and it uh, drives the rear wheels, and it's a longitudinally mounted engine. So it's a little bit of a car that if you get it in rear-wheel drive form, you can drift it a little bit. Yeah, it was fun. It's a fun drive. It's a well-engineered drive. One thing that Ford have managed to do with most of their new vehicles is at least make them a little dynamic. But one thing the Edge ST was missing was a little bit more oomph. It didn't have so much get up and go. The uh, They realized that, I think, once they brought the Edge ST out and as part of the ST performance class family, when they built the Ford Explorer and did the ST trim line, they really wanted to give this a little more get up and go. So 400 horsepower and a zero to 60 in uh, somewhere in the mid five second range. And it, it was fun too. 
Yeah, the, uh, the, the ST version of the 2020 Ford Explorer is certainly a lot more powerful than anything that uh, preceded it. Uh, I think there again, the main competitor would be the Dodge Durango, which is available with uh, engines that have up to 475 horsepower. So uh, these are the two new SUV muscle cars, I guess we could say. I think Americans, even though they're changing going towards SUVs uh, a a lot currently, uh, they still want, many people still want performance, and that's one of the reasons you'll see things like Mercedes-Benz bringing out coupe versions of their SUVs, because even though we need the room, we need the size, and we want to be up high, we still want the aggressive driving and the performance out of our vehicles as well. There is a hybrid version of the new uh, Ford Explorer, but no news Even though they have said it was designed to go electric, no news about a plug-in or a plug-in or or a fully electric uh, version of this. But they do have their fully electric uh, Mustang-inspired SUV coming sometime this fall. Well, there are a couple of things going on, first of all, before we depart from the Explorer Hybrid. For the European market, there will be a plug-in hybrid available later this fall. In fact, it will be the only Ford Explorer version sold in Europe. In fact, it will be the very first Ford Explorer ever sold into the European market, and it will be sold as a plug-in hybrid only. And the sister vehicle, of course, built on the same assembly line in Chicago is the Lincoln Aviator. It will have a plug-in hybrid version available almost from day one here, starting in uh, late August or September. So I think that uh, we can maybe at least suspect that if we fast forward the clock maybe a year or so down the road, uh, maybe, just maybe, there will be a Ford plug-in hybrid version available of the Explorer also here for the U.S. market. It would not surprise me if that happens. And then uh, uh, we'll be looking forward to only uh, seeing the Ford Explorer in Europe uh, versus not in the U.K. because... Uh, Dan Jones tells us that it, it re- from Ford tells us that re-engineering the vehicle for the steering wheel on the other side was actually too expensive for them. So they're really just limiting it to the rest of Europe and not to the UK. Yes, that's right. They are certainly discriminating against areas where there is uh, insufficient uh, dental care. So uh, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> the British Isles were uh, are not going to have the glory of. Uh, driving in uh, a roomy American muscle car this time around. Let's look at uh, what we might see at the LA Auto Show. Uh, This is where the rumors are abound that the first uh, Mustang-inspired SUV all-electric vehicle will be shown, which is... Uh, I think model uh, the the Model X is what they were calling it at some point, or the similar to Tesla's Model X, uh, but uh, the Mach One I've heard it called as well too. Uh, do you think that timing is about right? I think so. I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, this car was supposed to go into production in April of 2020 in one of their Mexican facilities. So revealing the full uh, final production version of the car at the L.A. Auto Show in or about November here would make perfect sense in terms of the timing. And in terms of its size and shape, I think we're led to believe in the teaser pictures that have come out, which should suggest that it will land uh, right in that area where the Jaguar I-Pace and the Mercedes EQC are now going to be residing a few months or even uh, more than a full year before 
passport is available. Right. All right, Anton Woolman, I want to talk a little bit about Uber and the fact that they are going to be uh, doing their um, air taxi in Australia. That's coming soon. And also some of the other cool tech advancements that are coming. More Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. On the phone with us, Anton Woolman, independent investor and analyst. Anton and I are talking about uh, the business side. So Uber Air, which is Uber's uh, air air taxi, I guess it is, from, from port to port, will be uh, opening in Australia as well. They've chosen many U.S. cities, but this is the first time they've ventured out of the U.S., is this a reality, or is this just uh, something that Uber are messing with as a possibility, or Uber Air actually going to help them make money? Well, um, <laughs> when it comes to anything autonomous, uh, I think that we should apply a very healthy amount of uh, skepticism. Um, I think it's hard enough to get something autonomous to work on the ground, getting a permit to get it to work in the air, and... Uh, not having it being viewed as a potential national security threat in all but some very perhaps strange area, perhaps in the rural Australia might be one of those rare exceptions. That is going to be extremely tough. I mean, yeah, you can imagine any foreign uh, company, I mean, any uh, hostile regime or any of maybe a malicious organization would potentially be looking to set up their own little autonomous uh, or, or remote-controlled um, little air device that could fly around and cause all sorts of trouble. So I don't think that um, this is going to go very far before they put some very heavy regulatory straitjackets around a service of this nature. Uh, it's interesting to know that, uh, you know, Ed, we've, one of the most asked questions I ever get on the radio or television is the fact of when is the flying car coming? And it's something since the Jetsons, uh, you know, 50 years ago that we've been talking about as a race is flying cars, but it just doesn't seem practical. A lot of people have been trying for years to create them. You know, Bell helicopters are in the game. I think they had a, a huge amount of people with some flying car ideas and some air taxi and autonomous air taxi ideas uh, at CES this year. But again, it's still overcomplicated and it doesn't look like it's getting fast into the reality space. No, I mean, at some level, you have to ask yourself, isn't that what a helicopter is? I mean, a helicopter is a form of an air taxi. I mean, that's, I mean, how close do you really need to get on this thing? I mean, just showing how difficult it is to operate uh, something of that nature anywhere near a populated area, to say the least, I think it's going to tell you that it is just impracticable. I mean, you can imagine that amateurs operating these vehicles of some sort. I mean, amateurs have a hard time uh, staying on a bicycle without falling down at uh, the minor obstacle or operating a car without getting in trouble. I mean, for, a, for an amateur to operate some sort of air taxi, I don't think that's going to happen. And if we're talking about an unmanned or remotely controlled unit, ask yourself, how drones are regulated. You can't fly a drone in a metropolitan area. Try flying a drone in New York City or in downtown San Francisco today, and 
the police may be completely super lazy, but they'll be on you like a chicken and a June bug and put you in for a long time if you try to do any, anything of the kind. Try doing it anywhere near an airport or a military base. They'll be on you very, very quickly. So I think this is a complete pipe dream. It will never happen, not in my lifetime and not in my grandchildren's lifetime. Interesting thoughts, Anton. One of the things that we got to discuss while I was in Stevenson at uh, the Skamania Lodge test driving the new Ford Explorer was uh, the fact that Elon Musk uh, spent quite a long time this week talking about uh, the what you would do inside a capsule on the way to Mars, the fact that Mars is unha- uninhabitable, uh, the fact that we probably wouldn't survive the trip to Mars because we don't have the technology, yet he's designing uh, entertainment and gain systems for the inside of the vehicle. And interestingly enough, uh, so are Nissan and Audi designing things that you would do inside your autonomous vehicle. So let's talk about Elon first of all. Is this just more uh, Elon Musk and Tesla craziness? Absolutely. I mean, uh, any number of levels. Let's just take the in-capsule entertainment. And for this purpose, it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about an automobile or an airplane or a helicopter or some some things that will take you to Mars. But we already have this type of entertainment. It's called a modern mobile phone. You can make it a little bit larger, call it a tablet or a laptop. It already exists. You don't need to build in this stuff into the actual physical instrument panel or equivalent of an automobile or or an airplane or any uh, vessel of that similar nature. You don't have to do any of this thing. We already have all of these games and modes of entertainment available uh, already. It's perfectly detached, sold to you by our friendly friends at uh, Samsung or Apple or anybody else of that ilk. So none of that needs to be reinvented whatsoever. I mean, if you build this stuff into a car, it's going to cost a lot more, and it's going to be harder to upgrade it. It's absolutely crazy. Now, going to Mars in and of itself is is even crazier than that. I mean, Mars is not a... Uh, it's not possible for humans to survive on Mars. We don't have a survivable temperature. We have no water, no uh, um, plant life, no animals. The radiation will probably kill you before you're a few million miles away. Uh, completely impossible, basically. There's no water. I mean, all of these things are, if you think there's a problem on this Earth, I mean, you, you mean the problems on any other planet are completely insurmountable by uh, the human being as uh, he or she currently exists. So is this a diversion tactic by Mr. Musk? Well, it must be because, I mean, at, at the same time, I, I am so amazed that, that there are people that are even listening to this stuff, let alone taking it seriously if they do. I mean, this is pure crazy talk. I, I mean, I, there's just hardly any words to describe how crazy it is. So clearly some people are still fascinated by it. And to the extent that that gives him some publicity and the extension of that is, of course, the ability to raise money. I guess it holds some utility for him in that he is able to raise money that can be somehow funneled into the companies that he runs that actually need money because they lose a lot of money. And that is, of course, first and foremost, Tesla. In more of a reality vein, uh, Hassan Chowdhury wrote an article in The Telegraph this week talking that uh, talking about the fact that Nissan and Audi are trying to think about banishing boredom in driverless cars by coming up with uh, ways to entertain yourself and virtual reality. 
it seems to me that we're diverting again by from the fact that these driverless cars still aren't here. They still aren't quite ready. They they still aren't uh, on the market yet. Now we're talking about uh, what we would do inside of them. A bit more of diversion tactics. Yeah, it's again this complete crazy talk. I mean, we do not have truly self-driving cars in any meaningful sense of the word, and we won't have them for many decades to come in terms of a car that can take you anywhere you want and you, you're going to not be afraid in going in it and it'll work in all sorts of weathers and other conditions. Obviously, if you relax those constraints, an on-campus environment where you go at 20 miles an hour maybe and there's no other traffic, well, fine, you can get it to work today. But in cars as we know them today with mixed in with big tractors and trailers and people working on the roadside fixing potholes and snow and sleet and random problems and a, uh, a cop that'll have to redirect traffic going against traffic and making an illegal U-turn. All of these things make these vehicles really far more difficult than uh, all of these companies are trying to pretend that they are and therefore speculating on what type of entertainment we're going to need to prevent us from being bored riding in the back of these death traps. Uh, I mean, it's absolute crazy talks. And again, we already have that entertainment. I mean, hasn't the, those people at Nissan and whomever were discussing these things, haven't they heard of the modern uh, smartphone? I mean, did they not have those things in Japan or whatever? I mean, this is pure crazy talk. I mean, if we should need these things, they've been available for years already. Anton, let's talk a little bit about what's uh, coming in the electric market. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the fact that we could see the new uh, Mark 1 or the Ford, uh, Ford Mustang-inspired SUV coming at the LA Auto Show. Uh, what's slated as the next slew of electric cars to be hitting the United States? Well, we've got a couple of them. I mean, the Nissan, uh, sorry, the Kia Soul EV, which had been available as an EV for uh, three years already, but the all-new one with 240 miles of range became such a success here in Europe that they postponed the launch in the U.S. market by at least uh, nine months. So we're not going to see that until uh, probably January at the earliest here in the U.S. because it is they're selling every unit that they can in a handful of countries in Europe. So that one, unfortunately, we're, we're not going to see here uh, before the end of this year in the U.S. On the other hand, uh, the Mercedes EQC started also deliveries in Europe here in the last few weeks, and uh, it will come to the United States also in early of next year. And uh, this car may not be all that different from Jaguar I-Pace and Audi e-tron, but because it has Mercedes behind it, uh, I think there are a lot of people that haven't really considered EV in the past well, at least take a serious look at it. The car looks, certainly looks very good and is really the electric version of the GLC that uh, has been forming the center of the market for Mercedes and uh, its competitors for the last handful of years already. And uh, do, we, do we think that uh, the Tesla truck or any new uh, Teslas will, will be a reality, the Model Y, in the next year or so? Or is it still, uh, still fought with problems of getting the Model 3 onto the market? Well, the Model 3 is, is kind of a done deal now. It's already out there. All the variants that they will be selling of this car have really come out here in the last couple of months. And we're seeing a bit of a sales surge here in the model in the month of June, where some of the lower-priced variants are, are shipping now in volume. So there's a bit of a sales surge both in the United States and in the several countries in Europe that I track where 
uh, we're seeing the delivery rates go up here meaningfully, as, as indeed we had predicted that they would. But I think we have a confirmation now that um, the Model 3 is being delivered in good quantities here, both in the U.S. and in, in, in Canada, as well as in Europe. Really what's next on, on Tesla's plate is that the Model S and potentially also the Model X will be refreshed here in the fall where they will get a new type of battery and some interior improvements. The range will actually start to exceed 400 miles for the Model S because of these new batteries and these new configurations. So that'll be a bit of a world record. So we'll see the fastest and the longest range um, vehicles that Tesla has ever made here probably come out here and probably by about October or so. And then if we fast forward a year after that to the fall of 2020, we should start seeing the early traces of the Model Y, which uh, will be a far more popular form factor and will start around uh, $40,000. Uh, the Woodhouse, who was uh, Lincoln's designer for the last few years and was credited with uh, designing that aviator, which will be the first plug-in hybrid for the for the company, uh, jumped ship this week to Nissan, and now he's going to Southern California to set up base in San Diego to design the latest Nissan vehicles. Uh, they said they will refresh 70% of their vehicles in the next two years, uh, that with some PR changes uh, at Nissan. Uh, expect to see more electric cars coming from Nissan this year? Well, not this year, but um, Nissan decided, uh, I think it was at least three years ago, that they were going to go with an all-new clean sheet platform for EVs that should start coming out probably by uh, the first half of 2021. And that will be a whole family of cars from the equivalent of the LEAF today, which will replace the LEAF, of course, to all sorts of larger form factors, uh, various classes of two- and three-row uh, uh, crossover slash SUVs, for example, just like most of the other automakers have. Anton Wallman, yeah, we can always read his stuff at SeekingAlpha.com. He's also, uh, uh, just look him up on the web, tons of really cool stuff. Anton, thanks for joining us again. He's uh, a great guest and always has an insight into the automotive industry. We are at OurAutoExpert.com 24-7. We'll see you again next week.